You are listening to episode 14 of the TJ Tells It podcast. Today, I'm bringing you part one of the interview with Amy Begley, head coach of Atlanta Track Club, and my very own coach. Welcome to the TJ Tells It podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and this is your straight talk guide to the fitness lifestyle by a non-traditional fitness junkie. Have you ever said, I could never run, lift weights, take a spin class, complete a 5K, or even that marathon? If you ever said, I'm not the fitness type, are you afraid to go to the gym because you don't know where to start or what to do? Or are you just looking for a little motivation to get out the door? If I just described you, then this is the podcast for you. You will hear about starting a health and fitness lifestyle, tips and tricks to staying on track and motivated. You'll learn the ins and outs of becoming a healthier you. You will also get to meet some of my favorite fitness junkies around and more. Lace up your shoes and let's get this journey started. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the TJ Tells It podcast. I am TJ, your host, and today I'm bringing you yet another interview. Today it is part one of a two-part interview with Amy Begley, who is the head coach at Atlanta Track Club. She's also my coach and friend and uh, all-around motivator is always in my corner. Um, You're probably wondering why is it two episodes instead of just one? Well, when we get together, we love to talk and she's telling all the things and I didn't want to cut out anything. And so I'm going to give it to you in two digestible chunks because she is laying it down, giving you all the details from her very beginning of her health and fitness journey and running start to Olympics, Olympic trials. And she's also talking about confidence in mantras, superpowers, goals, motivation, lifestyle, and so much more. I will give you a heads up that I am totally leaving it on a a cliffhanger because I definitely want you to come back and listen to part two of the episode. But this was one of those slight fangirl moments. I like to say I'm really cool when I'm in the presence of a celebrity, especially a celebrity that I have met multiple times. But internally, I definitely fangirl and it is always, always, always very cool to talk to a person who has done something that only very few people get to do. And running in the Olympics is definitely one of those things where everyone has watched it on TV. Okay, maybe not everyone because not everyone watches the Olympics, but you get what I'm saying. But it is just really cool and very humbling that she takes so much time out of her life to help little me along my journey and everyone else that she helps. But she is giving you some valuable, valuable information here. And y'all also will want to check out the show notes because I will be linking a video of her running in the, um, Olympic trials and, uh, some other fun clips of things. So let's get this party started. And here is the interview. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with Amy Begley, who is my coach and friend and on her own health and fitness journey. Amy, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been coaching at Atlanta Track Club for the last four years. Before that, I was coaching at University of Connecticut. And before that, I was out in Oregon for about seven years running 
with the Oregon Project for Nike. Um, I went to the University of Arkansas, go Razorbacks, SEC. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Indiana, but um, I'm loving Atlanta and working with the team and the people that I have here. Uh, it's been a really fun transition uh, going from athlete to college coaching to now coaching on every level that is enjoyable. Awesome, awesome. So she's leaving out one um, minor oh, yes. but major detail <laughs> that she is an Olympian and, you know, like ran in the Olympics and whatnot, but she tends to forget that part of um, her life. But anyone who's listening to this knows her will be waiting for that. And so I share with you all. But as you know, people want to hear all about your health and fitness journey and how you got started and where it is today. So give us the spiel. I mean, my favorite story, I guess, is that I was eight years old and I saw a woman running in the park when we'd walk our dog and I told my parents it looked like fun and I think they thought I was crazy. So they told me to wait till I was 10. Not sure why they picked the random number of 10. Uh, so when I did turn 10, they said, okay, I kept bugging them. Fine. There's this road race. It was this five mile mother's day road race and they let me sign up for it. I'm pretty sure they thought I'd do it and never want to run again, but I ran it and I got this big red ribbon that I keep with me as a reminder of the joy that I thought it was, it was at the age of eight and 10. (laughs) Um, but I got this big red ribbon and I was hooked and it was something that I wanted to do, love to do. I mean, you don't love it every day, but you love it most of the time. Awesome. Yeah. I do say that I like running before and after for sure. And then sometimes during, but um, after you get done, you're, you can find the happy moments in a run at any given point, even if it is a disaster of a run. So you started running 10 years old in a race, and then I take it you ran through middle school and high school, and then you said you ran at Arkansas um, during college. Mm-hmm. So Let's start from the point in which you're finishing college and getting ready to do your Olympic dream. Um, well, I will tell one small story about middle school. They did not have a girls' team, so I ran on the boys' team. <sighs> I know. So sad. I know. Showing, showing my age. But, so I ran on the boys' team, so that was fun. Uh, high school was a, was a journey. And graduated from Arkansas in 2001, so it's a year after an Olympic year, which is always a rough time to come out for any athlete. Um, I ran for ASICs, and then I ran for Adidas, and then I ran for Nike, and it was definitely a journey of injuries and ups and downs. Um, the first six years, Andrew coached me, and the last six years, um, I was coached by Alberto Salazar at the Oregon Project. So Andrew is her husband, and is also a coach at Atlanta Track Club, and will probably never, ever appear on this podcast unless I trick him into it by shaming him publicly for not being on my podcast. This is that public shaming that he still probably won't care about. But anywho, so tell us about the Olympic trials and getting onto the team because I'm going to post the link to the YouTube video so that everybody can see it. When I moved to Oregon in 2007, I was actually injured. I actually broke my leg here in Atlanta, moved to Oregon with, with a broken leg. And then I ended up having foot surgery January of 2008. So it was not the easiest or the smoothest, uh, you know, training for the Olympics to say the least. It was 18 months after I got diagnosed with celiac, um, so my body was actually healing as the healthiest it's ever been, and it was a combination of a new program, a new training, um, confidence, and for the first time ever, I was training full-time, and I wasn't working, I was napping, so everything just kind of fell into place. Um, the Olympic trials, uh, probably the week before, I can honestly say that I was still using the term, I would like to make the Olympics, 
And I was actually on my chiropractor's table, and it was three days before the Olympic trials. And I was telling him how it would be nice to make the Olympic team. And he stops, he stares at me, and he says, no, you will make the Olympic team. And I think that was the switch that I needed. And from that, the next three days, I went from saying I would like to make the Olympic team to saying I will make the Olympic team. And Andrew wishes he knew how to make that switch in everybody because he said it was, he said he knew that I was going to make the team at that point because of, you, I think you carry yourself differently. I think you, you state things differently and it's literally just changing a few words and it makes a huge difference. Um, and I didn't end up making that team by 1.4 seconds. Um, not that anyone's counting, right? Yeah, not that anyone's counting. Um, NBC counted me out from about halfway on. So if you listen to the actual NBC broadcast, they talk about the fourth place person making the team and not me until after I'd finished, which is kind of hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I went, you know, I went for broke and gave it all I had and got to make the Olympic team. And um, they stopped the clock at Shalane's time. So when I crossed the finish line, I didn't know if I made the team. So I literally laid on the track because I didn't know how to react. And then they tried to give me the Olympic, they tried to give me the U.S. flag because they gave everybody the U.S. flag who was in the top three. But if you don't make the team or the time, then you don't make the team. So I w- refused to take the flag until I saw that I had the time. <laughs> so I'm laying on the track and nobody knows what to do with me. And it seemed like forever. It was not forever. But And then the time popped up on the screen and I went from the most confused time to the highest high I probably will ever have in my life. Um, you really don't feel anything and the earth is just, you know, dancing below your feet kind of kind of joy. Nice, nice. For those people who are not in the running world and have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> with, you mean you finish third in the trials and you still don't make the team and you have to make a time. Can you give us a little bit of explanation about what that is? Yeah, so there, they you can send three per country per event. However, if you don't have the time standard or the mark standard, so for example, if you're in the field events, you have to throw so far, jump so far, you have to have a minimum standard to make the Olympic team. And if you don't hit the minimum standard, even if you're in the top three, you can't go. And I did not have the time. I had tried three times that year. I did not have the time. I was actually 15 seconds away from that time before I started the race. Uh, That was my PR. And I made it by 1.4 seconds and ran a huge negative split. So my first half of the race was slow and the second half of my race was fast, almost 5K PR fast. Wow. Yeah, so it was, um, it's, you have to place and run a time if you don't already have the time. Everybody else had the time except for me. Nice, thanks. So I'm going to back you up a little bit and let's talk a little bit about how confidence plays a role in Mm -hmm. just a health and fitness journey, period. I know you said Mm -hmm. that your chiropractor made you change your language and those simple words from I would like to, I will, made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. When you're coaching what I like to call as regular people, how do you help people get to that confident point or what do you do to explain to them what it is? We start with a slow progression. You can't tell people that you know by the end of this program you're going to be able to go 13 miles or you're going to be able to do a marathon because if they're only at six miles or if you're training for 10k and you're only at two miles the thought of being able to do six at that moment is is not fathomable so you have to take it in very slow um, incremental steps I guess um, and that's how I did training it was like every six weeks I would focus really hard and have these goals and then I would for me it had to be six week blocks um, for the training participants, it's a, you know, this week we're going to try this and this week we're going to try this. And then you slowly build on that and eventually they get to confidence of, okay, I can do this and I can do this. And, um, 
because if you throw everything at them at the first, it's, it seems like a, a too high of a mountain to climb. So it's very slow. And oh. once I do this, you're like, if you can do this, then we can do this. And you group training is great because you take their mind off of it with conversation and scenery. And you, you make sure that it's not focused on how much farther you have to go or how many more hills are left. <laughs> uh, uh. You, you break it down into these tiny little blocks that are doable. And then you put them all together and they surprise themselves a lot of times. I like it. So that is totally an example of how race enabling also happens is we will give it to you in baby chunks and then say, see, you accomplished this. And now you can do a half marathon. And you're like, um, I'm pretty sure I just signed up for 10K, didn't sign up for 13.1 miles, but now you got me thinking I can do this. And that is how a recreational runner is born who does all these kinds of crazy things. I may or may not be talking about myself and how I got sucked into the world, but better for it for sure. So when you made your language change and you started talking about how you will make the team, um, has that had a lasting impact on your like everyday decisions when you need confidence to do something completely different? Definitely. And I also use some of the other keys that I used during then. For example, um, mantras are big for me. We used uh, five different sayings and it was all things it was I am. And it, what I like to call a chest puffing up statement. Um, you know, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm a champion, I belong, I'm a pirate, whatever people need for that mental imagery of themselves, using those things. And I, once I finished running, I actually used those in everyday life of walking into a meeting I wasn't so sure of, or a job interview, or dealing with a boss or somebody else that you just weren't quite confident enough to walk into. Literally saying those things and using that imagery outside of running uh, became actually pretty key too as well. I know it definitely helps to have mantras. Mine are always um, one step at a time or you can keep going or just a little bit farther um, when I'm doing crazy workouts that this person that I know comes up with and I go, okay, and you, you're not, until you start doing it, you don't realize just how crazy it might be. Um, but then you're kind of in it, so you have to keep going. But um and then transferring that to when you're working on a big project at work or you have this marathon week of kids activities or what have you, all of those things can kind of come in handy. So I love it. Um, so speaking of confidence, let's talk about your superpower. What is it? Wow. I've been thinking about that one. I'm not really sure. I like to think it's just being able to listen and relate and put myself in other people's shoes. Um, not always, but I'm. I definitely try to to try to see it from their point of view more often than not. And I like to think that everybody has a journey, and I try to find their journey. So I'm not really sure how to relate that into words for my superpower, but so is it empathy or compassion. I, I feel like I switched those two words up in the yeah. technical meanings of them, but yes. that, that's a very good one. Yeah, to make people be able to feel comfortable where you are and mm-hmm. um, to get you to whatever your goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, so tying goals. When people come to you with their crazy goals of things that they want to accomplish, how do you handle that? What is your like style? And if you talk a little bit about what goals you set for yourself and whether or not those two kind of interplay with each other. I have been really lucky in life, in my running career at least, and probably my professional life, that I've actually accomplished most of my goals, which you can either look at it as I've been really lucky or I didn't set my goals high enough. Either way. Um, you know, in running, I accomplished all my goals except for, um, breaking 31 minutes in the 10 K and, 
running, you know, a marathon in the elite level. But I've really been able to do everything else that I wanted. Made the Olympic team, broke 15 minutes, NCAAs, um, U.S. champ, all those things I got to do. So I got really lucky in you got to have some kind of luck, I think, sometimes when you set your goals because you can set all the goals and you want, but if life doesn't go your way or things, you know, planning sometimes, it's just kind of, okay, the future doesn't always plan- work out. But I've been really lucky. So for me, for goal setting has been huge, and I like to talk about it all the time with people. Is setting goals is giving you a path and a journey, but you have to know that there's ups and downs. So I like to use a stair-step model, knowing that you're at the bottom of the stairs right now. Your ultimate goal is at the top. And each step is is something you have to accomplish on the way there. And so I help people break their goal down into these smaller steps. And I tell them that sometimes you're going to trip a little bit and come down the stairs and you're going to have to go back up or, you know, you're going to have to figure out a new way up. And that's how I like to, to use goals with people. So when they come to me with some goals and sometimes it's helping them realize that there's a lot of smaller ones they need to accomplish first. Um, you know, we have people that come and they've never done a marathon, but they also want to do an ultra. And so it's like, all right, well, let's work on a marathon first. Or you have people that, you know, they want to run a certain time in the 5k, but they've, they've never done one. You know, I say, well, let's, let's see how training goes. And then we'll do an indicator run, or we'll do some type of time trial. And then let's see where you're at halfway through training. And then let's, let's set that goal for this training session, knowing that maybe next training session, we might be able to hit that, that ultimate goal that you want to hit. But it may not come tomorrow, it may not come this season, it may not come this year, but here are the steps we're going to break it down. I like it. So be flexible with your goals and realistic, but yes. it's okay to dream big. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so how do you keep people motivated along the way when they've set this big goal, you've told them, or they've figured it out that they have a bunch of little baby steps along the way that have to be accomplished and it's not going to be a perfect journey because it never is. How do you keep them motivated or help them keep themselves motivated? I feel like everyone has a journey and you have to figure out what their motivation is to be there in that journey. You know, are they doing it because of a, of a loss in their life and this is what they found to fill that void? Are they doing it because, you know, the kids have now moved out of school and they're, this is their, you know, empty nest, you know, I got to find something else. Is it a, they're on a health journey and they need this as a motivation to continue the health journey or is this the start of their health journey? Um, so I try to figure out the motivation of why they're doing it and I try to apply that every time that they hit a roadblock or every time that something doesn't go right. I say, well, you know, you've accomplished X, Y, and Z and you started this because of X. And when you know why they're here, it's so much easier to keep them focused and keep them on the right journey. And if you can show them how far they've come sometimes, it's easier for them to continue to be motivated to continue. So how did you stay motivated while you're going through broken legs and moves across the country and all kinds of what I think is craziness, but it is what it is. Life happens. Yeah. One time my cousin said to me, I was talking about, you know, sleeping in an altitude tent and converting two of my rooms in my house to altitude. And, you know, he was, he was lived on a submarine, you know, in the Navy. And so we were talking about, you know, the differences and the, and the similarities of being in a submarine versus being in my altitude chambers. And um, my other cousin says to me, you know, that's not normal, right? And I was like, yeah, I know, but it's my normal. So yeah, a lot of crazy things. I think for me, honestly, the only reason I stayed committed was Andrew and my parents. Every time I felt like quitting, they'd say, give it one more year give it one more year. Or they'd say, you know, you're not done yet. You have a lot more goals to do. 
And if it wasn't for them every year saying, give it one more year, I would have been done a long time ago. <laughs> so having a team, having your support system is, huge. Yeah. is a big thing. And then finding your, like for me, it was my massage therapist and my chiropractor, my nutritionist, my physical therapist. Um, they were all on board. And the days that I was really struggling, they were my biggest supporters and they were more on board than I was. So it's also having support system that when you're having a terrible time, they don't also let you wallow in it. They keep you moving forward. Um, they're they're staying more steadfast than you are half the time. I think. <laughs> I like it. I like it. As um, I like to say all the time, I will believe in you until you believe in yourself. And sometimes you will believe in yourself, and then you doubt yourself. And having those people who remind you that there's still someone there that's believing in your dream and reminding you why you picked it as a dream is a very important thing. I think to keep it moving. And to accomplish, to reach any goal, you can't really do it by yourself. Let's talk a little bit about lifestyle. So you talked about um, your normal versus what people perceive as normal. And it's funny that you say that because I was texting with another running buddy and um, I was talking about how my group got rained out today. Woman showed up and she was like, yeah, it's raining. It was not raining when I left my house. It was raining now and I'm not really into the rain. And I was like, "Mm, okay, that's fair. Um, it's a rainy day. Sometimes rainy Sundays you need to take and chill and relax and whatnot. But I was messaging saying, hey, what's going on with you? And she's like, oh, I've got 20 miles in a swim. And I'm like, 20 miles on the bike or 20 mile run? And I was like, I should pause here and say that non-runner people probably would see this conversation and be like, why is she asking about 20 miles on a bike or running? That's crazy. But that is our normal, that you need a clarification about whether or not someone's going to actually go run 20 miles, ride 20 miles, or drive 20 miles to the swim. So, your normal, what? how did you keep a balanced lifestyle, or did you not keep a balanced lifestyle? Oh, I would say it was not balanced when I was training. Um, it is different. You, you can look at it as, I'm sacrificing all these things, or you can look at it as... It is my normal right now, and I'm giving all I have to accomplish this dream, and I know that it's a very short period of time. So, for example, when I moved to Oregon, I had 18 months from the time I moved there to the Olympic team, and I said I'm going to be all in for 18 months, which meant taking naps and not doing anything extra. I mean, Andrew's a biologist. He's like, you can't go to the library, and you can't do this because you don't want to get sick. You don't want to get germs, and, you know, it's... So it's... But I also got to travel around the world, and I also got to meet amazing people and accomplish a lot of goals, so... You have to balance out is it is what you think you're giving up worth all the stuff you get and if even if you don't accomplish that goals was it still worth it and most of the time it's yes um, and I think how you answer that question is seriously determines your level of motivation um, for example sometimes with athletes or with other people so for example if you're volunteering or even the elite athletes I'll say you know if if you know if something happened and I quit coaching or if you know you didn't get paid or something like that would you continue to do this you know how committed are you is something you really want if any one of those things falls away that doesn't make it as easy for you is this still your goal is this still your dream and if you can't say it's still your goal then you really have to ask yourself how committed you are to it Um, and so for me there's a lot of times I would get frustrated during my career and I'd say, and I would actually say the words, I just want to go get a job like a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) And then Andrew would retort, I wish I could be running and not working like you were because he was also an athlete himself and hurt his knee and couldn't continue running. So 
you know, and then I'd say, I just want to be a normal person. And Andrew's like, I would give, you know, I would give anything to be in your position. So I think everybody looks at it from different ways. And there were times I thought, I just want to be a normal person because it wasn't easy and you're always traveling and, um, you know, your life is, yeah, not, you live in an altitude chamber and you convert two of your rooms to 14,000 feet and, you know, you spend 14 hours a day in there. It's, yeah, it's not normal. It's not normal, but it's your normal. It was my normal. You have to be okay with it. I always like to say to you that um, the grass on the grass is not always greener. Sometimes it's just other grass. And so when people are looking from one side or the other, knowing what the challenges are and the benefits, and you weigh them and then determine whether or not your dream means that you want to switch to a different piece of grass, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be easier or prettier. And so knowing your why is important. I think along a health and fitness journey period, knowing your why is very, very important to keep you kind of motivated and moving forward and recognizing when things aren't necessarily going your way, what to do and how you kind of keep moving forward. So let's fast forward. You have run in the Olympics, done all this stuff. You are now in Atlanta as one of the coaches for Atlanta Track Club and training regular people. How did you balance your life back out? Or make it look like a normal person's life. Oh, when I retired, I was had to retire due to an injury, and so that's never the easiest way to end. I think, but I don't think runners know how to end, anyways. Um, you either quit being professional and then you do it for fun, or you can't do it for fun because you can't, you know, set new goals. For me, I had no idea what to do, and luckily the RRCA gave me this opportunity to interview um, women who had were the first pioneers of running. And it was this cathartic thing that I got to interview these women who are 60, 70, 80 years old, and some even 90, and they were some of the first runners ever. And it was so amazing to hear their stories about how they fought to be able to run and they fought to be able to be in the first races ever and to be acknowledged as runners. And, you know, they didn't have gear, they didn't have equipment, you know, there was a handful of coaches that believed in them and how they fought through everything and then how they transitioned from that world to, you know, regular world was amazing for me to actually be doing while I was trying to transition. Um, and then I thought I'd go to PT school and uh, my science classes were too old and who wants to go back and do organic chemistry and physics? Not me. So I decided you know, I would do my second favorite thing, which at the time I thought would be my second favorite thing would be coaching, but it ended up being, I think I liked it way better than I would have ever liked doing PT school. Cause I get to work with everyone from little kids up to, you know, master's, and elite athletes and it's it's amazing to be able to be a part of their journey and not just the little part like physical therapists get to do they only get to see the small tiny part I get to see the entire journey which is a lot more fun than I think doing that would be so I got to coach at the University of Connecticut and then this job opened up and Andrew and I got to be able to coach together so we took the jump and came down here and it's been it's been good I'm glad the job (laughs) personally and uh, that you came and joined our merry band of training participants. And so I get to tell my own stories because it's my own podcast. And so Amy shows up to um, training and we were doing women's 5K training. And it was a Tuesday and she had to travel approximately two miles maybe from the office to the location. And all of us volunteer run leads are there and we're waiting and I'm like, who's this new person? They told me she was an Olympian and now she's coaching and I am slightly self-conscious about this because I just become a run lead. I am not the fastest person in the world and in my head at that time, speed 
mattered more than anything, which is not still the case. But anywho, and so we're like, why is she late? She, I don't understand. And she comes, she's like, oh my God, I don't, like, I'm really sorry, guys. I, I, I left the office. I thought I had enough time. And she experienced her first bout with Atlanta traffic. And she was totally freaked out. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, you'll know. Two miles, can't measure anything in distance in Atlanta when you're traveling places. But she, she was like, very apologetic and super graceful about it. And I was like, okay, maybe she'll be all right. But I still got to fill her out, see what's going on here. And in the end, it worked out. And so, but it was fun to watch her transition to coaching regular people with regular, you know, lives, as we like to call it, and jobs and having to travel through Atlanta traffic and figure out what's really going to work and motivate. But I think she quickly became uh, the great head of our run lead family that is slightly dysfunctional but really motivating for other people and people keep coming back for more so you know it works so lifestyle is a big thing but it still comes back to what's your why and why you're doing it um what is your biggest hurdle right now to running because i know you still like you dabble in the running i say dabble because i can't because she doesn't run as often as i do um and so what's your biggest hurdle So I warned you I was going to leave you on a cliffhanger and in part two we will pick up with Amy answering what is her current biggest hurdle and she also asked for a little bit of help and so I will crowdsource that on the internet so we can see what we can come up with for some solutions for her. This was a jam-packed interview with all the things in it. This part one covers everything from how the Olympic trials work to how you build confidence, end up race enabled, the types of mantras you need, superpowers, goal setting, and how to stay motivated and balance your life. Part two will be equally as jam-packed with all the things in it. So please come back next week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time for another episode of the TJ Tells It podcast, telling about a health and fitness journey. You can find all the archive episodes and show notes at tjtellsit.com forward slash podcast. Never miss the next episode by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, such as Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Or just sign up for my email newsletter on tjtellsit.com. Not only that, signing up will score you a free weekly fitness planner. You can join me on Facebook to discuss the episodes and all things related to a health and fitness journey in the TJ Tells It community on Facebook. Just three questions to answer and I'll add you to the group. You can send your questions to me at tj at tjtellsit.com. In between episodes, you can follow my journey on Instagram or Twitter by following TJ Tells It. Until next time, keep in mind that this is a one step at a time, always moving forward journey, and you will too succeed on your health and fitness journey. I'm TJ and I'm telling you.